this day and age, everything is on social media, yeah. right? Like there's one for athletes. There's multiple ones for athletes. There's the Nike Run Club, there's Strava, there's yeah. Garmin Connect, there's all these different things. Yeah. And everybody gets caught up with the numbers that they can put up and how they compare to their peers and look at this guy, he's putting up monster numbers. But for me, the reality is, is I'm more impressed when I can see someone go out and do it efficiently when someone can go out there and run a seven minute mile and have their heart rate be 135 when someone can go out there and hold a certain power number on the bike and do it at 125 beats per minute Mm -hmm. and people have a hard time with that because they don't know how to leave their ego out of it they think that every workout that they have to go out and try to crush it and set prs and everything else but it's counterproductive to the end goal What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Eat Green, Make Green podcast. If it is your first time checking it out, thank you very much for being here. This is Pat McCauley. Uh, It is a wild, wild time in the world right now. Um, I am recording this on uh, the 13th, on March 13th. Um, and I just wanted to give quickly my, my two cents, um, take it or leave it if you would, but, um, I, I do know people all around the world. I know people in Italy, um, and I know what they're saying. And I think here we are taking it way too lightly. Um, and things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. I don't mean to alarm people or make people panic or anything like that. We're, we're going to get through it. But we should be staying home. We should not be visiting uh, people and going to events and that sort of stuff. We should be staying home unless it's absolutely necessary uh, to go out. Um, And um, Joe Rogan actually did an episode with um, Michael Osterholm, who is one of the leading experts on um, pandemics and has pretty much been at the forefront of this for years and years. Um, it's an amazing episode. It's Joe Rogan number 1439 with Michael Osterholm. And he really portrays the real side to all of this and, in um, the, the reality of it. Um, because I, I see so many people kind of just like dismissing this, like it's just the flu. Um, and it's a lot more serious than that. Um, so please do take it seriously. Um, it's more than just washing your hands. Um, it's about being around less people. Um, and I know if you're young and you, you don't feel anything like you don't even know if you have it or not. And that's the thing. And it's unfair for us as young, healthy people to go out in the world and possibly contact other people that, you know, the disease could, um, then kill, um, rapidly and, um, again, just look to Europe, uh, look, look at Italy and what's going on there. It is bananas and they cannot handle it. And the same thing is coming here, um, because people continue to not take this seriously. Um, so if you're listening to this, take it seriously, get food in the house and don't leave, um, unless it's absolutely necessary. Wishing everybody, um, health and sanity while, uh, in quarantine, and, um, yeah, just wanted to say that, um, this week's episode is with Tom Flex. So if you've been following the podcast, Tom is an eat green, make green OG. He was one of the first 20 episodes I ever did. And I was joking with him before I was like, dude, when we shared your story, you know, three years ago, maybe a hundred people listened. Um, and now we have thousands and thousands each week, which is super cool. Um, and Tom, Uh, has a wildlife story. I'll leave uh, the link to his first episode um, in the show notes for this one. Um, But, you know, just this dude that was not in a good place, um, personally, um, never was fit, um, struggled with weight, struggled with health, um, struggled with alcohol. And now he has this just incredible comeback story. And uh, he's a beast. You know, he's a I think six or seven time Ironman now, um, and now coaches triathletes and people 
um, looking to do Ironmans uh, like myself. If you've been following, um, I signed up for Ironman Mount Tremblanc um, in August. For those that don't know what an Ironman is, it's a 2.4-mile swim. It is a 112-mile bike, and then it's a marathon. Um, and my goal, I'm, I want to... You know, if I'm going to do it, I want to put down a time that I'm proud of um, and that I had to work for. Um, so if I can be around 11 hours, I'd be super happy. Um, but who knows? Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, so I'm jumping into this and really it's something um, that I have no idea what I'm doing. I've always been scared uh, of swimming. Um, that's kind of been the thing that's been holding me back and I know when I want to do something, but I'm fearful of it, that it's exactly what I need to do. And everything good in my life and any sort of progress in my life has always come from, I'm scared of this. And now like the, the fear is the guiding light. It's like, damn, I'm scared of this. That tells me I got to do it. Um, so I signed up and, I, and, and, you know, I'm just looking to learn something about myself and, and, um, yeah, really just, just learn something about myself and get myself out of my comfort zone and, and do something that I don't even know if I'm capable of doing. Um, haven't swam since I was 12, year, 12 years old, first time in the pool th- this past week. Um, so I uh, hired Tom to coach me, and hopefully we're going to do um, episodes every like four to six weeks, and I'll update you on the training. Um, I hope this is somewhat interesting uh, to people, if you're like me, that you know, have always wanted to do a triathlon, but, you know, have kind of had the fear. Um, and it's intimidating, like people with all these, like the $15,000 bikes and all the gear and like, I get it. And I'm going to do my best to like do it without that stuff. <laughs> um, and, and try to do it on a budget. And I'm not looking to, uh, spend thousands of dollars to go do an athletic feat. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'll keep you updated on it. I hope it's interesting. We'll, we'll definitely in the later ones get into uh, diet. Uh, Tom's been doing um, Ironmans as a plant-based athlete uh, for the past few years. I'm obviously plant-based and uh, we'll talk a lot about that. And um, I think it's my biggest advantage um, I could possibly have. Uh, but anyway, we get into all kinds of newbie questions in this episode about triathlon, about Ironman, um, and kind of the, uh, way you, you train and, and all kinds of things. Um, a lot of good information for, for newbies, um, and anybody interested in this stuff. Um, so hope you enjoy without further ado, me and Tom Fleck. All right. I got the Tom Fleck. He's back. So for those that uh, are podcast OGs, Tom was episode 16 almost three years ago now, dude, which is, which is wild. It doesn't seem that long for me, but... It seems like three years for me. Three yeah. years is a long time, and it's also a short time, so... Yeah. A lot has changed in my life in three years, but I'm sure, if, like anyone, a lot changes in three years, so... Totally, totally, yeah. And I... I, we sort of reconnected because I'm getting into this whole triathlon, uh, gig here and, and gonna, gonna show up for an Ironman in August Love it. is the plan. And, uh, yeah. And you coach triathletes and do them yourself. And I do. we, we recently connected and we figured it'd be cool to do sort of a, uh, a coach's corner type deal. Me as a totally, totally new to the sport. I know like people um, are super intrigued by triathlon and it's, it's something a lot of people kind of want to check off the bucket list and do. Um, so I hope to people listening that it's, it's somewhat interesting to chronicle kind of my path from zero to hopefully Ironman. Successful triathlete. (laughs) Successful triathlete. I like that. Um, so that's what we're going to do. But, um, yeah, as I was saying before, like the audience now, like when we probably did ours, maybe like a couple hundred listens, something like that. Um, and now, you know, we're, we're into the thousands, you know, each week here with the podcast. So um, there's definitely a ton of people that maybe heard your episode from way back when that don't know you or your story. Sure. 
So we don't have to go way into it, but um, just sort of like a recap would be awesome. And then like, I'm also curious of like the past three years and since we sat down. So sure. you can kind of take it back wherever you want. Well, my story, to summarize it in 10 minutes, I guess would be a difficult task because I feel that my story has encapsulated my entire lifetime. So 10 minutes is not very long. But to keep it brief and in the sake of providing some sort of summary, the last time we sat, I was living in Hingham with my wife and three young daughters. And we were literally had the moving trucks at our house, packing up the house and on our way to go move to Miami for an adventure, a life adventure. And we had connected at that time through a mutual friend. Um, and you were new into the podcast game and looking for interesting people and I was looking for something yeah, fun you to were, do. You were what, like a like six months plant based or something like that um, around that time? Yes, I was early into my plant based journey. I'm not actually sure how far into it I was. I'm probably been 100% plant based for about three and a half years now. So yeah. I would say that you that's were a few about months right. in. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, 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 I was early on. Yep. Yeah. So we were on the verge of moving to Miami, which we have since moved to Miami spent a year and a half there and have moved back to the South Shore of Massachusetts. And um, in, even in the last three years, a lot of life has happened in that time. Um, from professional challenges, success, changes, to personal challenges and success and changes, to anything and everything in between. Um, it's kind of just been life unfolding as we go. Um, I'm still plant-based. I'm still passionate about wellness and using movement as a form to get there. Um, so short of going into really all the details, I'm not sure what else I would say about it. Um, we're back here on the South Shore, my family as well, my beautiful wife Jess and my three daughters who are now three years older and have settled into their new location in Norwell, Mass. Um, which we love. It's a great home that we have. We're lucky, we're very fortunate. Um, right next to Wampatuck State Park, great area for all kinds of recreational activities from bike riding to running to you name it. Um, we're very lucky to be where we are. So I'm happy to be back on the podcast. I'm, I'm super psyched for you in um, your journey into Ironman Triathlon. Um, I saw that you had posted, this is actually, <laughs> we saw each other in passing in Wampatuck State Park a few months yep. ago, and yep. you had threatened to have me back on the podcast to, to catch up and do a <laughs> yes, recap episode, which we never ended up doing. And um, I recently saw that you posted on Instagram that you had registered for Ironman Mantra Want. And as soon as I saw it, I th said to myself, I said, I have to talk to him because I've done actually Ironman Mantra Want the last two years. And mm -hmm. it's one of my favorite places in the world, Mantra Want, um, mm. beautiful area and a great event. And, uh, that's when I reached out and we sat down and had coffee. Um, and since we've last sat down, I've become certified by USA Triathlon to be a triathlon coach. Um, I currently work with my coach under his coaching umbrella, Ray, Ray Botello of RB Fitness. He is a professional triathlete, really passionate guy, probably one of the most passionate people I've met about the sport of triathlon. He eats, sleeps, and breathes triathlon. Um, mm. It's incredible. It really is his passion and dedication to the sport and to teaching it to other people. So everything that I've learned and everything that I'll pass on to my athletes is basically taught from him. Um, so I feel like that I've had a good mentor in the triathlon world, and I'm happy to be able to share that with other people like yourself. I'm, like I said, I'm super excited to see someone that has gone from never having done a triathlon ever to an Ironman triathlon. So I actually, we were just talking before we got started and I said that that would be an interesting thing to hear from you is how does someone that has never actually done a triathlon go from being in their home to saying to themselves, I'm going to go out and register for a full distance Ironman triathlon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that's a, that's a solid question. Um, and that's a question I've been sort of asking myself is like, why did I sort of sporadically <laughs> do that? Right. Um, yeah. And for me, like the past probably two years have been like 
just a total shift. And you remember when we, when we did our first one, right? Like I asked you if it was even healthy to do triathlons. Like you were, you were doing, I I don't know what you, you had just done a training for an Ironman, a full Ironman at that time. Yeah. And I, and I'm like, it's totally like anti blue zone and like anti, like just movement, basic, like walking to the store type stuff. And that's sort of been outside of like the gym. That's sort of been my way of living. It's just like kind of move throughout the day. And I think that's like for the long term, puts the least amount of stress on your body while still giving yourself exercise. And it's kind of, which I agree with the sweet spot. Yeah. But over the past two years, like I've totally gotten away from lifting in the gym and just like have found peace in running and and biking and being outdoors way more. Um, to the point where like, I don't want to be in a gym at all. And I just never saw that coming. Like I, I've always lifted and that's kind of been like my thing with football and whatever. And yeah. And then like, you know, my actual, my, my last episode was with, um, a triathlete, Dan, Dan Goldman, who's done an Ironman and he did, he made the worlds for his age group, uh, in 70.3, which is a half Ironman for people that, that don't know. And like we ran before the podcast and he's training for Boston and like, you know, we did like nine or 10 miles and I was just like, I'm in better shape than this guy, you know? And he, you know, and he's doing triathlons all year. He's, he's running the Boston marathon and granted he's in his fifties, but like, I was like, you know, it just sort of opened up like, man, I can do this because it's the first time, like the past year has probably been like the first year that I've probably run, you know, five, six days a week. Like running's kind of been my thing. So I'm just super comfortable with that. And when I'm not running, I'm biking in the warm weather months here. So I'm just comfortable with those two. And then like, I've always wanted to do a triathlon. Like the, the swim has always held me back from doing triathlon, right? It's always been like the, like I've even looked up like biathlons and thought about doing something like that. And I was just like, I don't know, for me, like everything good in my life has come from having a fear and going towards the fear, right? And if you can have that perspective with most things, like I I think it's just like a guiding light. Like I want to do a triathlon, but I'm scared because of this damn swim, right? And I'm like, well, fuck, I got to do it then, you know, because I'm scared of it. Sure. And like that's... I totally agree that I consciously decide to do things that scare me because it's in doing them, in achieving them that I grow right nothing Mm -hmm. all i believe that all growth happens outside of our comfort zone so for me to just consistently sit inside my comfort zone throughout my entire life i would never grow and i like to have that growth mindset personally so totally yeah yeah and and then from there i was like all right like i gotta do this right and then uh, i'm like well you know i know i can run a marathon like i i know i can I know I can bike a hundred miles. I've done that. You know, I'm like, but can you, do if both? I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah. Can I do both back to back as fast as I can? After you swim 2.4 miles. Yeah. So, but at the same time, I was like, if I'm going to do one, like I want to, I want a serious journey here. Like I, I don't want to go out and do the half marathon. I want to do the full, you know? And yeah, I wanted a challenge. I wanted something that was really I, I want to see if I, like there's a huge hole in me that sure. like can I even do this yep. right and Iron Man that's is a what I'm that's a challenge yeah yeah for sure and, and that's that's what awesome. kind of what intrigues me and, and on top of that like the marketing is so good yeah like there's <laughs> there's something very sexy about like Iron Man yeah and uh yeah like you go on YouTube and you watch the you know Mont Tremblant like 10 minute video there of like last year's and you're just like you, you know, that'll make you sign up pretty fast. Yeah. Um, the marketing is top shelf, I must say. <laughs> it is. So Iron Man is actually the brand. It's not the actual distance. It's not a measurement of the distance. Iron Man is actually the brand of right. the race management company. Right. Gotcha. So there are other races in the world that put on the race distance of 140.6. Yeah. But Iron Man is obviously the most popular. The marketing has done so well that it's synonymous with the distance that people say an Iron Man triathlon. Yeah. And it's really just this one actual management company that puts on these events, but anyway. Yeah. 
So back to you real quick. Sure. Just for people that missed the first one, right? Yeah. Because you're sitting here like you're this, you know, you coach triathletes now, right? Yeah. You've done how, how many? This will be number six. I'm supposed to do Ironman Texas in five weeks from yeah. now. I'm not sure when this will air, but yeah. it's um, the end of April, the race. So it'll be number six, and I'm also signed up for number seven, um, Lake Placid, in yeah. August, July. So you have not always been this, like, An fit athlete. triathlete, <laughs> athlete of any kind, dude. No. So, like, for... That's for, putting it mildly. For average, for, like, the average listener that does not know your story, can we just touch on sort of, sure. like, your health journey a bit? Sure, sure. So my health journey is one of... I guess it would start in the unhealthy realm and it would shift into the, <laughs> the health portion later on in my life. I grew up an overweight kid. I was overweight for most of my adult life um, through just poor food choices, the standard American diet, um, not really having any understanding of what nutrition was or how it worked. Um, I was always a good athlete. Growing up in the South Shore, I grew up in Hull, and I was always a good athlete. I was a good football player because I was big. Um, but I also had some good agility. I was a good basketball player. I was, always, I was always athletic, you know. I was always just an athletic person that had good coordination in whatever I applied it to. And what happened is that somewhere along the line, I wasn't happy with the person that I had become. I had a a moment that... I decided that I wanted to make a change and I signed up for much like yourself, I guess, in a way I signed up for, I wanted a challenge. I wanted at once I had made that decision, I decided that I wanted to do something that would challenge me. And I signed up for a hundred mile charity bike ride and I hadn't mm -hmm. ridden a bike since I was a kid riding BMX bikes off of the jumps down the end of the street. So I signed up for the hundred mile event, uh, charity ride. And I trained for it and did it. And I had a blast. I thought it was great. Um, it was a lot of fun. And this was probably five years ago, I guess. Mm -hmm. And from there, the journey kind of started. That was in June of 2015, if my math is correct. And I actually signed up as a new challenge. Um, there's a local triathlon, the Cohasset Tri, which was a couple miles down the street from where I was living at the time in Hingham. Mm -hmm. And I said, why not? I said, I grew up in Hull. I know how to swim, which I really didn't know how to swim. Yeah. <laughs> I just rode 100 miles on my bike. That was a 12-mile bike. And I had never done an organized running event in my life at that point. Like, I had never even done an organized 5K. But I said, I'll go out there and I'll wing it and I'll see how it goes. So I ended up signing up for that event. And the day of the race, it was a huge storm. And it got, the swim got canceled the day before. The morning of the race, they canceled the bike, and it just turned into a 5K road race. They put everybody in the starting chute. They said, okay, everybody <laughs> yeah. go, and we all ran a 5K. And to my amazement, actually, I actually ran the three miles, 3.1 miles, without having to stop, and I felt pretty decent. So having felt like I was slighted a little bit, I signed up for another one down in Duxbury a month or so later. And um, I was such a rookie thinking back on the stuff that the events of the day, it was, it was wetsuit optional. And I had an old ratty wetsuit from a friend of mine that surfed and yeah. a, an old rip curl wetsuit with the knees blown out and everything else. And having no idea what I was doing because the water temperature was high enough. They said it was wetsuit optional. So I said, well, I'm not going to wear a wetsuit because it'll just take longer to get out of after the swim. And it ended up being a huge mistake because it's so much easier come to find out to swim with the wetsuit on. But I did that race and I didn't know how to swim. I got like 50 yards offshore and I thought I was going to die. I was flopping around like a wounded seal out there. And, mm -hmm. um, I ended up making it through the swim. I did the bike and I did the run. And I wanted, I, I, I guess that from that point on, I wanted to improve to say caught the bug i guess is the term people use but i don't know about the term so much um i i i guess i could say it i caught the bug i wanted to improve i had a i had fun i liked the challenge of the whole thing i liked the challenge that there was three different sports that you had to train for that you had to execute in the same day and you had to execute well enough to be competitive in your age group so at that point i found a local girl who taught me how to swim properly how to do an actual freestyle stroke 
over at the local pool. And I started to just show up every day and do the drill. She actually was my first coach and I was with her for about a year. And she was also great, Bethany. She taught me how to swim, like really how to swim. And I ended up start. I did a few sprint triathlons, which is the short distance. And that transitioned into the next distance, which is the Olympic distance. And I did pretty well in my age group in that. And throughout that entire process though, I had this underlying feeling that I wanted to actually go for it and do an Ironman triathlon. And um, she had never done one, so she really couldn't advise me if it was the right move or not. She was a short distance kind of gal. So eventually what happened is I met my, co my current coach, Ray, in the YMCA steam room and I noticed his watch and <laughs> I saw that it was the watch that people use to track the three different disciplines and I asked him if he raced and he laughed at me because he at the time was a professional triathlete and here I was like a year and a half into the sport asking him if he raced and we got to talking and I hired him as my coach and I had signed up within a couple months to do Ironman Louisville the following year. Mm -hmm. So when you when you signed up for Ironman Louisville, yeah. you had done... You you done a is Olymp is Olympic seventy point three no that's okay. the half half Ironman so there's the sprint yeah. the Olympic the half and the full of right. four different distances so what's the half the half is a one point two mile swim yep a fifty six mile bike yep and then the half marathon thirteen point one gotcha mile. gotcha gotcha the Olympic it depends on the venue but typically it's usually a fifteen hundred yard swim um, a 25-mile bike, and then a 10K. Okay, so you'd done one of those? Yes. Okay. And I did well, too, actually. I won my age group up in Old Orchard Beach. And I won my age group that day, and then I fired my coach the next day. And it was okay. We are still friends to this day. I actually saw her down at the Duxbury Sprint Try this past summer, and it was great to see her. We caught up, and she's a good egg, Bethany. So, yes, I did do – I progressed through the distances – in kind of, even before I did Ironman Louisville, after I did the Olympic, one of the first things that Ray had me do was to sign up for a half Ironman, which was a local one, um, yeah. over at Miles Standish State Park, Pilgrimman, which is a great race. Mm -hmm. And I did that. The I think that that was the fall of 2016, late fall. I think that one happens in late September. And then from there, we set out to train for Louisville, which was the following season. Mm -hmm. So you had... From Olympic, you had, what, six months to a half? Um, no, it was like a month later. A month later. And okay. I, it was a challenge for me. Like, I yeah, had yeah. never even thought to go anywhere past the Olympic distance. Yeah. But don't get me wrong. Like, at that time, to go from a sprint to an Olympic distance was, like, terrifying for me. To yeah, think that, absolutely. Because yeah. the, the biggest jump is in the swim at that distance. That yeah. I think that the Olympic distance, the 1,500 meters or yard swim, is almost the half Ironman swim because the... The half Ironman swim is, um, if I do the math, it's 4,300 yards divided by two is 2,150. So mm -hmm. that's half the distance. So you're almost to the half distance in the swim. So I was, I was nervous to do the swim, but I was encouraged to challenge myself just to see what I could do at that half distance and get a baseline for the training for the full. And I actually ended up doing pretty well. So it was, it was great. And then you did one year of training from there? Roughly? Yes. One full year? Yeah. It was probably yeah. like um, 10 months, but yes. Yep. 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 So you don't have that same progression. <laughs> so it's, it's, it'll be a challenge, but it's totally doable. Like I feel that if you have the proper guidance and you come from an ath athletic background, then you'll be okay. Like you'll be totally fine. I was actually thinking about it the other day and... Think I can remember to the being at the starting line of Ironman Louisville. In there, you jump into a river off a little dock, and you start swimming upstream, and you go around a little island, and then once you get out into the river, you're downstream. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, as I was progressing towards the edge of the dock, they do it that every couple seconds, a group of four athletes will jump off the dock. So inevitably, you end up at the edge of this river with the sun rising in the background with all this nervousness, like slowly 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 like edging your way to the front of the line where you're going to jump into this river and your day is going to start and i remember being in that moment and just feeling like this complete calm because i knew that i had done the work and mm. that the only thing that laid ahead of me for the day was the actual execution of what i had already basically done or practiced enough in my training that yeah. for me it would be no problem mm. and I, I remember carrying that confidence with me that morning and ultimately i feel like that again, with the proper guidance in a 
well thought out plan that it can work for anyone. Yeah. So that's pretty wild, man. Yeah. First five, yeah. first five K to Ironman. What was that? A two, three year yeah. period. Yeah. Not even. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's, that's but I wild. love it. I must say, yeah, like, yeah. I, I love that. And obviously since I have done that first one, I've done four more. I've done Montremblant twice. I've done, um, Ironman Texas once I did the one in Louisville and I did one in Germany last summer, which was a fantastic experience. Mm. And I must say that I'm glad I did that one last year because if it was this year and everybody is now nervous, obviously with the current yeah. outbreak of the disease that we're all thinking about, I don't think that it would actually happen this year, but who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I would love to get into some of kind of my training questions and probably like a lot of maybe uh, wannabe slash newbie triathletes I listening I, I think might have some of the same questions. No such thing as a dumb question. Yeah. Especially yeah. coming from a place where you are new to the sport. I love it. So what do you have? So first one is, is the explanation of the heart rate training, right? Because I'm like... Like, so we're, for people listening, right? I, I've been like just over a week into this since we, we started working together. Yeah. And like, there's a part of me that feels like I'm like taking a step back, Sure. you know, where it's like, all right, I got to go run. I got to go out for an hour run at like, you know, an 8.30, 8.45 pace because I got to keep my heart rate in a certain zone, right? A lower zone. Whereas like a normal run for me would, I just wouldn't be there. It feel, like, it feels just super easy and same with, same with the bike, right? The swim, none of it feels e easy <laughs> right now at all, but yeah. So can you explain like the actual, like, I know a little bit about it, but like the actual sort of process of heart rate training and why you kind of go slower to eventually kind of go faster. Yes and no. Okay. Because I don't want to misspeak because I don't know the science exactly. I know yeah. a little bit about how the science works, but I don't want to misspeak or misrepresent the actual science. Um, but I will say that Ironman racing is about efficiency. So what we do with heart rate training is try to teach the body how to be as aerobically efficient as possible. Mm. And one of the biggest challenges that we face as coaches is to break the mi exact mindset that you just described. Yeah. Everybody comes in thinking <clears throat> that they can run fast and they, they can get out there and crush it. But the reality is, is that 90% of the people that come in and do that are going too hard. Yeah. They're going at a pace or an effort that is unsustainable for the amount of distance that you have to cover in right. an Ironman distance. Right. So the biggest challenge is getting people to one, believe in the system. Yeah. And then two, once they do believe in it to actually follow it, meaning that instead of going out there and running eight minute miles with your heart rate at 165 beats per minute, that you can actually grow your aerobic efficiency by running nine minute miles with your heart rate well below your lactate threshold. And mm -hmm. again, I don't know the exact science of how the lactate threshold works or the different thresholds that are involved with aerobic efficiency, but I do know that it works. I do from my own experience, having done it myself and building my own aerobic efficiency to watching other people and following along on different social networks like Strava is a good one for athletes. Yeah. But you'll see these athletes, these high-level athletes, and Ray is a perfect example, that can go out there and at a super low heart rate, just put up some big numbers. Yeah. Like, like, I, like monster numbers. I looked at his yesterday, and he, yeah. he was running like whatever he ran for an hour or two. Yeah. 135 heart rate, right. 640 mile right. per pace. You know, I, like, I'd, be at, I'd yeah. be at 170. Yeah. In the top athletes in the world, whether any kind of endurance athlete, whether it's the top of the field in the triathlon world, or even the running world, the distance runners of the world, or endurance cyclists of the world. Yeah. Their entire training philosophy is all based off of that aerobic efficiency. Mm -hmm. They all train by doing long, long, slow days, high volume at low intensities. Yeah. And of course, there's a ratio where you do have to mix in 
intensity Some to build strength power, yeah. to make sure that your muscles can still put out the power that you need to do it but it's at a much lower ratio than what t- a typical person thinks that they need to do right in, in the in the like the general idea though right yeah. is like exactly what you're saying but you are able to go slowly over time you're able to go faster at a lower, very efficient at heart rate. At a more rate. efficient. The body learns to be efficient. And there's yeah. something that happens at the cellular level with the mitochondria of the cells. And again, I don't know the yeah, science yeah, yeah. well enough to speak about it. But when you operate at that low intensity, the body learns to become more efficient. And over time, practice long enough, you're able to go back to that same speed that mm-hmm. you want to go out and crush it with your heart rate soaring, but at a much more efficient much more efficient um, capacity, meaning that your body doesn't have to work as hard to be able to produce the same results. Mm. And when you can do that, that's when you can do that for 10 hours that you will be successful in the endurance athletic world. Mm. So it's a process and it takes time. And there's not this glorious day where like you bench press your PR and you're there. (laughs) Like it's a long, slow process. And some people that come from athletic backgrounds, whether it be if they ran track or swam in high school or whatever it may be, some people have that advantage where they have that background and they built that aerobic engine a little bit in their youth. And those people always have a little bit of an easier time to, to get into the game. But like, even for a person like myself, it, I started off with no background in any kind of endurance, anything. And I've been able to build my aerobic engine to a point where I can do it successfully. Like when I go race in Texas, hopefully in five weeks, I know at the starting line, I have my goal in mind and I'm going to push a little bit to see if I can hit the goal. But the reality is, is I knew that if I paced it properly, like I'd be able to crush it out there at the proper pace. I'm going to, when you start to chase times and do different things and you take some risk here and there it's a little bit of a different story but the reality is is i know what i'm capable of so we'll see what happens but that's the idea basically you teach the body how to be more efficient and then once you teach it how to be efficient then you introduce the speed and the in the intensity and the combination of the two is what makes for the success and are you so right so basically what we have been doing is like there's five heart rate zones right correct we're pretty much living in zone two, the, the second zone up from the bottom, which we call zone one. Correct. And different coaches in different... Label it differently. Yes. And there's also, there's a million different ways to skin a cat. Right? Yeah, yeah. Some coaches use different metrics for, for training. Yeah. Um, I think that the largest majority of them do use heart rate as the metric because it's easily quantifiable and it is a constant meaning that if the weather is no good or the course is hilly, you can always use your heart rate for a perceived effort. Yeah. Yeah. But and, yes, I But basically that. we have been living and I don't know if this changes or not, but we've been living in kind of the zone one, yeah. right? Which is the the second from like recovery, bottom, right. very slow bottom yeah. zone. Um, and you basically live there and build there. Where do you race at? Do you race above that? Or are you out there kind of in your efficient zone one when you race? Or is that kind of the game you're playing? Like, you know you can be in zone one all day, but it's, you're it, probably pushing it. It's an advanced question for someone that's one week into their Ironman training. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good question. It depends on the distance. Again, it's all about, in the end, science and the physiology of the body. Because yeah. what happens is when you exert yourself and I'm going to, if I don't have the proper science, I'll sound like an idiot, but I'm going to make a go of it anyway. So what happens is when you exercise, your body produces lactate and the lactate gets into the blood and your body has the ability to clear that out at a certain rate. Yeah. But when your exertion gets too high, you create it faster than the body can clear it out. Mm -hmm. Right. And once it gets to a point that all of a sudden that lactate threshold is surpassed and your body can't clear it out fast enough, you can't go any longer. You, right, you bonk. You bonk, right? Yeah. And your legs feel, your body feels like cement and you can't do anything more. So the idea is, is that you get to know your body well enough where you know where that threshold is and you can push right up against the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. So typically that threshold is the top of zone two. 
Mm -hmm. So for a 70.3 distance, which would take me a little under five hours, I can go right up to, and again, using my heart rate, go right up to the very top of zone two and be confident enough that I can hold it there until the end of the race. Because mm. at that effort, I can also still ingest hydration and I can also still ingest calories, which you also need, mm -hmm. right? So that's a conversation in its own right, the art of fueling properly for an event. But to answer your question, the idea is, is that if you can find where that threshold is and stay just underneath it, that's how you push yourself. Gotcha. Right? So again, the idea being that when you increase your efficiency aerobically and you can go faster at a lower heart rate, then when you know what that heart rate threshold is, you can go as fast as you can up until the bottom or the top of zone two. And that's basically the pace that you want to hold. It gets a little bit trickier when you go from a half Ironman to a full because to hold the very top of zone two for nine and a half, 10, 10 and a half, 11 hours is difficult. So it really becomes closer to the middle of zone two, to the bottom of zone two, to mm -hmm. even sometimes in the top of zone one, depending on different things, conditions and ability and other factors. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So next one for you. Can you give me kind of like your, like how sort of like the first few weeks slash first month or two of my particular training, yeah. like why it looks this way and like why, like obviously like you take, like, you know, you take it into account the person's background, like, like why we're kind of at where we are and like what maybe... Maybe the next month, we'll say, sure. that kind of the goal is. So the reality is, is that the training is pretty simple in as much that there's not a lot of fanciness or there's not a lot of changing. In order to increase aerobic efficiency, it's a lot of repetitiveness. Yeah, and totally, yeah. so to ask what the first month will look like, it'll probably be very similar to what the second month looks like, which mm -hmm. will be very similar <laughs> yeah. to what the third month looks yeah. like, right? So there is a little bit of progression through different parts of it as you become just more accustomed to the workouts and you're able to read and actually execute the different workouts. The reality is, is people that can actually take the instruction and, and go slow enough are yeah. the people that do the best because yeah. once you... Once, as a coach, you want to see someone that actually listens, meaning that if you tell someone to go out there and run a 10 or 11 minute mile, because it's supposed to be a recovery run, but they, in their minds, can't run that slow because of their mental cases, yeah, yeah. then you're not going to progress to the next level where you want to add intensity because you know that the person didn't get the proper recovery the day before, yeah, yeah. right? So the idea is, is that the, the more well-suited you are to embrace the entire process, meaning that when it's a a recovery-based workout, meaning a very, very easy, very, very low heart rate, then it kind of ratchets up faster. It's a little bit counterintuitive. That mm. the, but again, it's all part of the design of the workout plan, meaning that there's recovery workouts built in, there's recovery days, days off complete built in. Like today, for example, I didn't do any workout. Today is a complete rest day. Where, yeah. So... It all depends on the athlete's ability to follow the plan, to answer your question. Yeah. So if you want to next month go out and have some interval running where you actually need to run some intervals above threshold, then first you have to show me and Ray that you can actually mm. embrace the days where you have to also run a 10-minute mile. Yeah. And for me particularly, right, how would like mine be different than somebody that maybe has run a 10k and runs twice a week and are trying to tackle this would it have started much slower like would it have started with less hours you think or um, yes yes but also i feel like maybe the guidance of if, if if someone approached me that came from an unathletic background and not coming off the couch, but pretty close to it, yeah, yeah, yeah. and told me that they had signed up for an Ironman in six months, <laughs> you wouldn't I would, have I would them? question them, Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. But 
if they told me that they signed up for an Ironman in 12 months, then I would say, okay, so we're going to start slow yeah. and we're going to build from there. <laughs> yeah. But I know you. I've seen some of the local races that you've done, and I know that you're an athletic person. So I, that's why I feel that someone that has that running background can jump into a plan and, again, if they have the ability to follow it, can yeah. be successful. Yeah. All right. Biggest, biggest hurdle for me. Leaving your ego aside. Yeah. Meaning that this day and a this day and age, everything is on social media. Yep. Right? Like there's one for athletes. There's multiple ones for athletes. There's the Nike Run Club, there's Strava, there's yeah. Garmin Connect, there's all these different things. Yep. And everybody gets caught up with the numbers that they can put up and how they compare to their peers and look at this guy, he's putting up monster numbers. But for me, the reality is is I'm more impressed when I can see someone go out and do it efficiently when someone mm-hmm. can go out there and run a seven minute mile and have their heart rate be 135 when someone can mm-hmm. go out there and hold a certain power number on the bike and do it at 125 beats per minute mm-hmm. and people have a hard time with that because they don't know how to leave their ego out of it they think that every workout that they have to go out and try to crush it and set yeah, prs yeah. and everything else but it's counterproductive to the end goal so the biggest challenge is to basically leave your ego at home mm-hmm. and trust in the process mm-hmm. that it's a proven process, proven time and time again through the top pros in the world. Similar process, like Ray is a pro. He's done 30 Ironman races. He's raced every race you can name. And he it's a proven method to, for success. Yeah. But people have a hard time to follow it because... Yeah. I don't know why. If they think that they know better or they think that they don't want to always do it 100%. So that's the challenge. Yeah. As a coach, that's the, the most challenging part is getting people to slow down, to actually mm-hmm. do the workouts as they're prescribed. Mm-hmm. How hard is the swim going to be? <laughs> <laughs> Having seen so for people that are listening, like I had not gotten in a pool literally since I was 12 years old when we met last week. Yeah. Like how hard would you say that's going to be for me? Um, it depends again on how hard it's about doing it properly. I think that yeah. in the six months from now until the race, you'll do enough swim volume and enough different drills and technique work that you'll feel comfortable enough that by the time you are ready to take on the day of the race, that you'll feel comfortable. Like right yeah. now it seems a little, yeah, it seems hard to comprehend just because of your own personal experience. You don't have that experience with you. You have yeah. to actually have the experience. Like there'll be workouts before the day of the race where you'll actually do that distance, mm-hmm. right? And of course, it's always a little bit different from a pool workout to open water. Right, right. But some people think that open water is easier. When you put on a wetsuit, the wetsuits that we wear are designed to create buoyancy. Right. And the reality is, is like in the middle of the swim, if you wanted to, you could just float on your back and you'd just float at the top of the water. And just like take you a, could just hang out a for a minute break. and take a, take a minute break. Yeah. The, the, the reality is, is the swim, you just have to get through comfortably. Like you have to exert yourself because you want to, obviously you have goals and time goals and you want to do well, but you, you'll get through it and it won't be as difficult. The way that you picture it in your mind right now is not how difficult <laughs> yeah. it will be the day of the race. I'm that, picturing myself floating That much, lot. I promise. Unless the race was this weekend and you were going to get out there, then it would be that difficult. But you'll have the, you'll have the experience by that time to, to do it successfully. All right. All right. Your predictions, if I follow everything to AT, your predictions on what I could potentially do for a time. That's a hard, I know that's very hard to say, hard, but... It's a hard question because I don't know that I have a big enough sample size. I think that the biggest variable in that question is your bike because the largest percentage mm-hmm. of the day is spent on the bike. Yep. And the equipment will make a difference on the bike, meaning that time trial bikes are different from road bikes. Yep. And the aerodynamic positioning that accompanies a, a, a time trial bike, a TT bike, creates for a faster time. So it's a how much are we talking for what like faster time like uh, how significant would you say significant significant twenty five percent faster wow with a proper bike wow and a proper bike fit it it's it's honestly not so much about the bike but it's about the way that you're positioned on the bike to increase yeah. efficiency 
Mm-hmm. So it again, everybody is invested into the sport in their own way. Some people yeah. will do one race and that's for them is enough and they scratch the itch and other people keep coming back to it time and time again. And they need to, they don't need to, but they invest in a time trial bike and yeah. different equipment like this bikes out. You can buy a bike for $600 and you can buy a bike for $15,000. Yeah. So it, 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 without actually, and again, because of the time of year, I've only seen a couple of outdoor rides and they were both, I think, recovery rides. Mm-hmm. So until there's actually some training volume, some data that accompanies that, it would yep. be tough to say. So I'm going to reserve, I'm going to reserve <laughs> my answer until <laughs> maybe the next that's time the we That's the proper coach's response yes. there. But I think that you're athletic enough that you can do well to answer the question. I think that people that come from a running background have a little bit of an advantage because running is the hardest discipline of the three that people have the hardest time to do well in. And people that are runners, typically, if they can learn to bike smart and they can swim efficiently enough, then they can do okay. Yeah. So again, I think that if given the plan followed well that you could do well for someone on their first time out there but again the your ability to be efficient with your positioning on the bike and aerodynamically will make a difference so you said you can buy aero bars that you put on your bike is that right yeah and is that something you recommend i do yes for sure and that will i would then have to go get refitted with aero bars on correct yeah how do those work? How do they like... They basically just clip on top of your handlebars and they become basically rest for your elbows. Yeah. Where you basically... But you still have to, because I'm just throwing those on, I still have... Like you can't break from there, right? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. But typically in a long course triathlon, it's you're not allowed to draft. So you're not supposed to be up too close behind right. anyone like where you wouldn't need the brake so much. Yeah. Unless, like, you're flying downhill, which I know Mont Tremblant Mont has Tremblant a big has downhill, a, There's right? a couple of big downhills. Yeah. But, again, if you're a confident enough biker, then you use that to your advantage and you go yeah. as fast as you can. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm there yet. To the, bike fit, <laughs> the bike fit is an important one. <clears throat> All right. Yeah. And is that better done sooner than later, I would imagine? Yes, yes. Yeah. For sure. And another thing with that is you, you're using you're using slightly different muscles than if you're in kind of like a comfortable road bike position. Yeah. And this is where it gets to be technical. Yeah. Because the geometry of a road bike is different from the geometry of a time trial bike. Meaning that typically you're seated up higher in the back, which rotates the entire body forward out over the handlebars more. Yeah. Which changes the angle that your hips engage with your entire system that turn the pedals. Yep. So the idea is is that you use less of those muscles that you typically would need during the run. So you become a more efficient biker while also saving yourself more for the run. So there's only so much gain that you can get on a road bike, which is typically why if people are going to do the sport for any amount of time, they'll invest in a time trial bike. Yeah. And any, so outside of leaving the ego, bike fit, following the plan, any other advice to both myself and kind of first timers out there to enjoy it really like the reason that why i do it and still do it to this day is because i love the process i love the day-to-day challenge of trying to execute that particular training session to the best of my ability Mm. there's a certain discipline that it takes to embrace it seven days a week that you have to love the process enough to 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 foster that passion for the sport right and part of that is doing it because you enjoy it and whether that's doing it with people that you enjoy spending time with there's a certain camaraderie in the sport that people pull for each other and we have some different workouts that we'll typically do like every now and again we'll get together for a group ride sometimes we swim together we do group runs a lot there's a little group of us that have trained and traveled to different events together there was like for example last year me and two of my friends and our entire families all went to Germany together and we were all there for a week. It was incredible. And even this year we're going to, uh, 
every race that I'm doing, I'm, I'm going with someone. For the first race in Texas, there's a, a pretty good representation of Ray's athletes from RB Fitness who are all going to be there together. Mm-hmm. Not together, but we're all going to be racing, and there's a certain camaraderie there. And we're going to do the half Ironman in Montremblant in June. And again, mm-hmm. it's me and I think, I don't know if there's three or four of us that are going. So it's just a... We're like kids, right? We're all middle-aged yeah. men with <laughs> yeah. that are competitive athletes. And, and what happens is it ends up being like a, f- a fun guys weekend away. Yeah, instead of going in, instead of going to drink, Foxwoods, drinking or and hunting, yeah. right? You're you're challenging yeah. yourself, yeah. And and you sort of touched on, I guess, another reason why I want to do this is really the fun of it, yeah. and like every race type thing I've done from like, you know, mountain trail races to Ragnar to like, I get to a place eventually where like my phone notifications are the last thing on my mind. Life in general is the last thing on my mind. And it's just, just that space of just nothing else in the world matters, but kind of your next stroke or your next step to me is like some of the best feeling experiences I've ever had in my life. And to be honest, I completely identify like there's moments like Ironman is hard. Like it's not going to be an easy day. I say that you'll get to the starting line with full confidence, Yeah. but there are moments in the day where it just totally sucks. And like, you think like, why am I here? Like this sucks. I've done that. Where's my car? I want to go home. I've done that with every race I've done. Yeah. But there's a when you when you can get through that and you can learn what you're really made of and you can you can rise above the doubt and the 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 insecurity or the fear that accompanies that questioning your ability to actually do it or make it to the finish line. There's something that you can that's you can carry with you through every avenue of your life and there's just such great life lessons to be learned. And it doesn't have to be the event itself. Like I love a good race, I must say. There's something about being in that starting shoot with all these people and there's a certain electricity in the air that I just love. And the same could be said for when you're in that grind at the end and your finish line is in the, on the horizon and there's just something about it that's electric. But mm. it's the, also the day-to-day. Like when you don't want to wake up, when, you don't, when it's the middle of winter time and you're supposed to meet your friends at the pool at 5.30 and you just don't want to do it and you're tired. And there's something about having that discipline to be able to apply that to all of life's situations that it's a great life lesson day in and day out, your ability to, to maximize what you have. Yeah. And I would say too, particularly with endurance is it's such a long commitment to get there in the first place. And I just think that's like, that's what life is, right? It's like any goal you have, like it's not going to take one year. It's going to take 10. Sure. And it's just like each day it might not, you might have barely progressed that day, but it's like you've progressed and it's just slowly, slowly, slowly just not giving up on that goal for very long periods of time. And then all of a sudden to use the analogy, you're doing an Ironman, you know? I I totally agree. Progress in anything that I've ever accomplished is never linear. There's always ups and downs and, everything in between and it's the same it's a it's a great microcosm for anything that you can do in life but also it's fun like i've learned to have fun with it i actually enjoy the training i love swimming i love the rhythmic breathing and it's like a meditative exercise your phone is you you can't be disturbed when you're under the water i love to ride my bike it Mm -hmm. all started with bike riding for me and to this day i still love to get out and ride my bike in any shape or form and the running for me has been the most difficult part, but I've come to a place where I actually enjoy the, I enjoy the training of the running, but when it comes to race day and it's painful from yeah. the, from the first step out, then running is a challenge. But again, it's in those moments. Like I just did a half marathon a couple of weeks ago and I came out of the gate fast and I knew that I was going to be challenged to try to hold that pace until the end. And I ended up holding the pace, but like it hurt. It yeah. is part of like having to run the last half hour in a place of like hurt pain that teaches you something. It teaches mm. you that you're more capable of what you think you are. Yeah. So. Yeah, man. And that's, I, I, I'm, I'm really excited for you. Like, I can't wait. Like, <laughs> there's a journey ahead. But again, like 
for me, you can't skip the journey. The, you, you, have to, oh, yeah. you have to enjoy the journey as much as the event. The, the event becomes a, a byproduct of the journey. The, the event, I won't say, is, is inconsequential. But at a certain moment, it just becomes a celebration of the hard work you've done. You have to go yeah. out there and execute the day of the event. But yeah. you'll have the experience with you that you'll feel confident enough that you can execute. Yeah. So. I got, I got one more to somebody out there that says they don't have the time for any of this shit. You got four, three, four kids? Three kids. Three, three girls. kids. Like. A wife, a full-time job. Full-time job. In your last, last week, earlier this week, I think, or over the weekend, you had two 12-mile runs. Right, yeah. the previous weekend, I think you said you had a six-hour bike ride or something yeah. like that, right? Like, talk, speak to that real quick, um, because like, there's, there's like, I get that a lot too. It's like, how the hell do you have the time? Like, just when from people's feedback, just, just saying, you know. And I don't have any kids. Yeah, I don't have a, a mortgage or anything serious. Like, I'll find the time, you know. I think that there's a certain balance to it. I think that. If you're passionate about it, then you'll find a way to make the time that I wake up early and I steal those first few hours of the day every day. Like my training is typically done before my family even wakes up Mm. and I'm usually home to make breakfast and out the door for work. Like it's a regular day every day, Mm. sometimes in the afternoon or the evenings, I'll have another session to do. But for the most part, I try to get all my training done early in the day. Um, This is a, it's a big question really, because there's different reasons in different ways, but I also have to give my wife a lot of credit. She has embraced the fact that I have embraced it and Mm. she's been super supportive and she has taken like there's days where in the big lead up to a race like this past weekend, I was busy for a good part of the weekend and she still has to get the kids out the door to basketball practice and I actually made it to the game but then the next day she has the kids and she gets them out the door to get them to church and the different functions and family parties and the reality is, is you can't, when you're in the build up to a race and you have those key weeks that you need to have, you can't do everything and you have to be able to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. But you also have to have some sort of balance and some sort of awareness around it because when the events go and there's the pendulum swings in the other direction, you have to be able to, again, not be a mental case, leave the ego aside and step away for it, not necessarily altogether but let it scale back and then also embrace the other aspects of your life because ultimately it can't become all consuming. So there's, so there's almost like a flip side, like there's almost like a come down yes. post event to like, sure. shit, like I have nothing else on the calendar. Like, or you just it, have events all season And all of a sudden you, you have, always have something on the calendar, but yeah, all of a sudden you have four hours a day that, you know, yeah. Yes are different. No. Yeah. Like, Typically, we train year-round, but the volume of the training will increase as we build into the season. Yeah, yeah. Like, typically, the season will slow down after the whatever your last event is in the fall, mm. and it's different for everyone. Some people will do one event a year. Some people do one event only ever. But for people that train a lot, they typically will do some sort of event in the fall, and then after that, the holidays will come, and they'll inevitably scale back and spend the holidays with their family and it's a good time to be able to to embrace the other elements of your life and and realize that sport isn't everything that there are other things that are important in your life and then typically once you get into the new year you start to kind of ramp it back up slowly but surely and kind of build that base back up for the coming season mm-hmm we don't really ever step away completely from the training. Some people do. It's all personal choice. Like for me, I don't just because I actually enjoy the training. I, yeah. I like to get out there and it's like you said in the beginning, like to, to move in some way every day for me makes me feel good. And yeah. I like that. Totally. Totally. So. And, and I, and I do have to ask you, I probably asked you this the first time too, but now at this stage in your life, like why do you do it? Like, what's kind of your why behind it at this point? I feel like that I still have gains to make. I feel like that I've started late in life and I feel that I, every, all five races that I've done, I've got progressively faster at every one. And I want to continue on that trajectory and I want to 
see what I'm actually capable of. I would like to qualify for the world championship someday at the full distance, maybe at the half distance, maybe. Um, so I like that challenge. It's a, it's a, a lofty goal to chase, but it's not outside the realm of possibility. But also I stay in the sport because I enjoy the sport. I enjoy seeing people like you come in fresh faced with no idea and being able to share something that I'm passionate about, but also share something that I know enough about that I can educate someone on how to do it successfully. In the long term, I would like to be able to pass that along as a coach to athletes and help to continue to grow the sport and foster the community. Mm. I love it, man. Well, um, we'll probably leave it there and we'll, we'll, we'll do a, a, a training check-in in maybe a month or so or sure. whenever we love to. feel is a good idea. And definitely, uh, we'll, we'll get into on the next one. Uh, I'd love to talk nutrition. Yeah. We're obviously both for people that don't know, we're both plant-based. Obviously, you know, I am, but, yeah, but Tom is as well. Plant-based. And, um, so, uh, would love to get plants. into, would love to get into like what you eat while you train, what I've been eating when I train and, sure. and um, yeah, and, and a check in yeah. and cool. maybe we'll do, uh, two, two or three of these in the lead, lead up to, leading the race. Up to everything. Maybe one afterwards too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I appreciate you having me. It was great to catch up. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Times I've related is your